Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And today I have one of my favorite uh, guests, uh, Dr. Bruce Brockway. Dr. Brockway, will you tell my listeners a little bit about you and what you do here in the community of San Antonio? Um, well, uh, again, I'm Bruce uh, Brockway. I, I am uh, technically a kidney specialist, a nephrologist, uh, but uh, like to suggest that I deal with the whole patient mm-hmm. uh, rather than uh, organs. It's a lot more fun that way. And uh, so well, you specialize in, in hypertension and uh, diabetes. Like you, you, you have, are are kind of focused on everything that's going on with with us when there's something wrong with with a patient. Well, I like I like to ref- have my staff refer to us not as, uh, for instance, if it's the end stage, not as a dialysis facility, but uh, at a place where individuals who need dialysis can go to be taken care of mm-hmm. and uh, the focus uh, is on the the individual but dialysis is a very simple thing uh, very structured in approach uh, lots of rules and regulations that have to be followed so, so that's very straightforward but uh, it's a lot more fun to identify with the individual and their health issues as a whole so how did That's you end up getting into this, Dr. Brockway? How did what made you go into kidney disease? When you when you were spe- deciding to specialize, you could have gone with anything. This is kidneys are are difficult. That was purely a coincidence. When we were interns, uh, we were informed that we would pick a subspecialty. We would pick an organ uh, or a disease area. And so uh, I would have talked to the chief of medicine, uh, Dr. Larry Early, uh, and uh, explained the difficulties I was having uh, separating one of those subspecialties out. None of them were perfect. All of them, there was something I loved. Mm-hmm. And he said, you sound like me. You have to be a nephrologist. That was very touching. He was one of the most impressive men I ever met. He was a strong attraction for me to come to San Antonio to begin with. So that was a delightful thought. So San Antonio, our population is wrought with kidney disease. Why would you say that is? San Antonio has a population that uh, has many risk factors for diabetes. Uh, There is a familial tendency. It's not inherited. But if uh, a parent has diabetes, there's a 50-50 chance the child will get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, If two parents uh, have diabetes, it's a 75% risk. But it's not just that they inherit it as a genetic thing. It depends on uh, lifestyle. It depends on activity and uh, food choices and food quantities. So that uh, obesity plays a major role in having the disease express itself in those who are disposed towards it. And some of those social determinants of health, too, that you just, you just mentioned, and go along with lifestyle like uh, the food choices. In our neighborhoods, especially when we go on into the south side, the food choices aren't the same as the food choices uh, on the north side. Mm -hmm. So, you know, over your time here, what have you seen when you're working, like in your Las Palmas uh, location? You know, one of the things I noticed about you and that I really love about uh, how you practice medicine is that you're you're 
yes, you're in the medical center area, which is where lots of people go for their, uh, go to see their, their physician. But you're also in those hard hit areas that people really need someone. They need a, a reputable, good physician there. And, and that's just not the case in, in uh, many of the neighborhoods that we have the biggest problem in. And you're there. You locate there and you go. And boots on the ground. I can find Dr. Bruce Brockway <laughs> at Los Palos servicing patients every week. You know, and that's uh, that's one of the one of the reasons why I invited you uh, to the show because I think you're a healthcare hero. You've been doing that for I don't want to make you sound old, but you've been doing that for decades. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you may I have no problem. <laughs> Yeah, this is decade number five beginning. That's right. So tell me, over this time, what have you seen in the way of social determinants of health? So the the food, how has that changed when you're, you know, taking a taking a a a visit to one of the the grocery stores in those neighborhoods, like in in that area? What what do you see? Have you seen a change over the last? Uh, my impression is the greatest change uh, has been the availability of fast foods in large portions and the availability of uh, sugary drinks. And um, the sugary drinks are all sweetened with uh, a healthy term called corn, corn syrup, corn syrup salad, but self fructose. It's just an inexpensive source for it. Uh, and uh, it's uh, unbelievable at generating uh, weight gain. Mm-hmm. One, oh, of my, one of my curious stories is a gentleman from the area that uh, I've been seeing for years with some kidney disease, uh, recurrently encouraging him to lose weight and suggesting how that may happen. And he was then missing for months. Uh, he comes back to see me and he's lost 50 pounds. I'm impressed. So how did you do that? Uh, well, I moved to North Carolina and they do not sell big red there. <laughs> True story. Oh my and that's, gosh. And that's exactly what he attributed uh, his uh, his loss to. Now, I'm, well, I'm going to tell you, I concur with your, your client because uh, you know this, but my listeners may not. i I used to weigh 340 pounds. I lost 187 pounds. Although today I found out that I've gained uh, 15 of them back. So stay tuned. I will I will continue on my quest to drop that 15 and a few more. But um, the way that I did that was one, the first prevailing thought <clears throat> that I had to adopt to in order to lose that weight and keep it off was don't drink your calories. So whenever you see me and I'm drinking, I'm either drinking sparkling water, you know, regular water with a little bit of a little twist of lemon, a little twist of lime. But when I adopted the thought of don't drink your calories and started literally like pushing away, okay, first of all, I didn't drink big red. Uh, that was not one of my advices, so luckily that wasn't one of them. But, <laughs> but you know, the Big Red has a lot of high fructose corn syrup in it. But uh, when I stopped drinking uh, Dr. Pepper, which was the one that I, I liked, and I, I still like Dr. Pepper. I'll have it every now and then. But when it stopped being four or five of them a day, that's a lot. I didn't realize how much I was drinking. I didn't realize how how much just it how much it, I was consuming in calories just with the drink, just with the drink. When I changed that, I I literally saw a huge change in how I felt. One, like at first I felt terrible, like it, it was almost like I was I I don't even know how to describe it. It was almost like I was having uh, withdrawals from from not sure. being able to have it. You know, like I desperately wanted. But then, <laughs> once I got over the hump <laughs> and, and moved past that, it was fine. 
and now that I'm like years out from 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 that particular lifestyle mm-hmm. of, of drinking that that much of it all the time, uh, it's it's almost like having a dessert to have it now. One of the underappreciated features of uh, fructose uh, is that it's actually handled by the liver in exactly the same way alcohol is, uh, with pretty much exactly the same effect on. Uh, liver function, uh, the uh, deposition of fat in the liver, that uh, in fatty liver, alcohol or non-alcoholic, uh, which would be the, the, the sugar metabolic thing, uh, is the most common reason we have now for uh, cirrhosis, liver, liver failure, uh, liver cancer, uh, actually. But uh, fructose is a, a toxin all its own in large quantities. The larger the quantity, uh, the severer the penalty to one's health. Now, you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany, and I have one of my favorite guests, Dr. Bruce Brockway. Dr. Brockway has just been telling us about our kidneys and what's going on with us in our community here in San Antonio. Dr. Brockway, you were just mentioning that some of what we deal with is fatalism. It's people thinking what you you tell our listeners about kidney disease. There there is uh, so much fatalism in the community where uh, you have other family members. uh, Mama had uh, diabetes and kidney failure was on dialysis. Papa had diabetes and kidney Mm -hmm. failure was on dialysis. Uh, so that's what's going to happen to me. It's fate. I have no control over it. I can't change it. Uh, it's going to happen. Uh, it's a matter of time. And, uh, and that's just not true. It, it doesn't, doesn't have it to be. It doesn't have to be true at all. Uh-huh. Uh, those are all controllable features with regard to uh, weight gain. and. Uh-huh its influence, uh, the effects of the uh, diabetes and blood pressure on a variety of organs, including the kidneys. Those are, those are all things that uh, individuals can change uh, mm-hmm. by virtue of their approach to lifestyle features. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are some of the things that you, you recommend that a person can do, and just incremental things? they can do to change what's going to happen with their future regardless of whether or not their their family members have had kidney disease the lifestyle uh, changes are, are generally divided into uh, two types one is physical activity I won't use the term exercise that doesn't go over very well physical <laughs> activity. <laughs> Uh, which does not have to be strenuous. Uh-huh. And uh, the recommendation uh, with, with respect to, say, walking that requires no gym membership, uh, no expensive uh, equipment, uh-huh. would be uh, walking uh-huh. 30 minutes a day, five days a week, uh, at a pace of between uh, three and four and a half miles an hour. That means that uh, it may be as uh, slow as a mile over 20 minutes. That's not a fast walk at all. Mm-hmm. It's very leisurely. Uh, and uh, unless they already have serious health problems, it's not overly physically demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's the regularity of it, again, not the intensity that yields the benefits. And, uh, re- and really, listeners, pay attention to what he just said. It's the regularity. It's consistency. It's not how fast you're going. It's not that you go faster than the girl up the street or the guy up the street. And it's not that you go faster than you did the day before. It is that you are consistent. Consistently exercising. Consistently moving. And one of the safe, uh, potentially convenient places uh, that my patients have done that is in uh, uh, in the malls. That uh, I don't know what they're doing now, but they used to open uh, an hour before the stores did. 
And so uh, you could window shop, but you could not interrupt your activity by virtue of a purchase. Uh, so there weren't, there weren't those distractions, uh, but the temperature was uh, modulated. Mm-hmm. It was not uncomfortable. And uh, a number of them had markers along the walls that might tell you uh, how far mm-hmm. you had walked. Now, I don't know how they're doing it now in the era of COVID-19. But I can tell you that that um, we're cooling off now in well, cool for San Antonio, <laughs> which means not in the triple digits, <laughs> but uh, you can still like walk trails. You can like for me, when I first started uh, at 300 and something pounds, I, I couldn't see my feet. So. Uh, I didn't walk. I actually rode a uh, an incumbent bike, um, but I I did my little incumbent bike. Uh, sometimes I would would go and walk around the trails because I like to be outside. You know, you can do that, and you don't have to start off with the full thirty minutes. Like I started, I want to say when I started with the weightlifting, I did three pound weights. Uh, I started uh, with my incumbent bike. I did 10 minutes because that's all I could do. And I did 10 minutes, uh, but I was consistent with the days. Like I did 10 minutes every other day. And then uh, did I do every other day? Every other day. Not, I moved up to uh, five days a week, but I did 10 minutes initially every other day. And then uh, I add after a, after like the first month, I added on a minute a week and and moved myself up to to thirty minutes. Um, but it that's how I did it because I was so heavy. It wasn't it wasn't something that I could do easily. Um, uh, it wasn't something that I could do all at once, but sure. but I wanted to. I knew I had to do something, you know, and and that's that's what I, you know, I say to to anybody like start where you can start, you know, and and just be consistent. Well, we've actually had uh, bicycles in the dialysis facility that sit on the floor in front of the chair. Uh, that can have uh, the resistance or workload adjusted. And when the individual is uh, willing initially, uh, the only request is to make the circular movements uh, mm-hmm. of the legs uh, to feel comfortable with the stretch. And then the tension gets set to what's called perceived level of exertion. That's where they for whatever their level of conditioning is, mm-hmm. have a workout that they are willing to stick with. And uh, as uh, the, the strength improves, the time can be increased, their choice as to what that time is, uh, and the resistance or workload can be increased. So uh, you're doing this at your dialysis center and kind of helping patients with that? Uh, we, we, we have, and any, anyone who's interested uh, can can do that. Uh, our first uh, utilization of the bike was a woman in her late 30s who was very deconditioned because of uh, two seriously dise- diseased uh, heart valves. And uh, because of the surgical risk, we had some challenge finding a surgeon who was willing to do the valve replacements. She finally reached a point of uh, dysfunction uh, mm-hmm. that uh, it, it was done, and then she needed to rebuild. And uh, rebuilding wasn't going too well for her. Uh, she was in a nursing home. Uh, we got our first bicycle. She used it regularly uh, and actually returned uh, to a fully uh, ambulatory independent person. Now, she decided she wasn't <clears throat> happy at the thought of going home because of relatives that, that had moved into her house that were a bit of a, bit of, a, bit of, a, bit of a problem to deal with. Uh, but the reality is uh, the outcome, uh, because she was willing to do it, was uh, very, very important, very, very good for her. 
That is amazing. So that one addition to your your dialysis unit made a huge difference for for someone's life who who by all intents and for all intents and purposes should have gone to the nursing home and stayed in the nursing home without any other options. Right. I, so that lets us know like how important a change like that in BMI and a change in your your uh, your physical endurance how important that is. So what would you say about uh, BMI? Because I, I, uh, I talk about, I think that's really important. And a lot of what I've read says that it's really important. But what say you about BMI and how that can change for a person? And I, I guess that's the body... Mass, mass index, mass index mm-hmm. and not a new car of some sort. <laughs> oh, that's a BMW, that's right. <laughs> uh, the BMI is a commonly utilized term to decide what the uh, body composition is. And uh, it has to do with uh, the weight relative to the height. And uh, it can be very helpful in... Uh, suggesting that an individual may have an excess of body fat, especially visceral or belly fat, which is uh, the most hazardous of the types. There are people as well who are simply very muscular. Uh, they don't have uh, excess uh, fat at all, but may have a high uh, BMI. They're the, they're the minority, uh, but it is useful uh, as, uh, as a guide to... Uh, encouraging people uh, to do the exercise and to limit their calories or portion size. And that, so would you say that that changes, um, that a small change in in, uh, body mass index, um, because 10 pounds, 15 pounds of weight loss can change your body mass index? It it can, can change uh, the... uh, health and or disease uh, perspective uh, a, a great deal. It doesn't require huge amounts of weight loss to make a difference. Right. So anybody that's listening who is suffering from diabetes or hypertension, they could change their their the state of their health with weight loss, but it's not massive weight loss that has to happen. Massive weight loss, not required. That's right. Nice, but not required. So what would you recommend when somebody is is trying to get themselves started? Like if a person is, if their family members are suffering from kidney disease and they've, you know, what's the first thing that you would say to somebody that, that has a family member that has some form of CKD, they're looking at diabetes and hypertension and all of this, what's the first thing you would tell them to do? Well, first would be uh, some suggestions uh, regarding... um, I mean, besides getting tested, I know you tell them to get get tested for uh, chronic kidney disease, but after that, what would they do? Well, I, uh, I don't suggest that they uh, necessarily need to seek, uh, quote, expensive healthy foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, do need uh, to be aware of what the problem foods are and to limit quantities. Uh, actually, some years ago, out of curiosity, uh, I subscribed to Nutrisystems for a month or so. Uh, and I know it couldn't have been for you. And uh, curious <laughs> uh, that uh, they they talk about the great dietitians, nutritionists uh, that advise them and make selections. It's pre-prepared food. Uh, you open it up, and there's the potatoes and the pasta and the white rice. Uh, And it's like, well, I thought these are the things we're not supposed to have. Reality is the portions are limited. Mm -hmm. And and it's the uh, limitation of the portions 
that makes the difference. Uh, so one, uh, by uh, choosing to consume a, a lesser amount of food can make a big difference as well. It doesn't have to be a, a total change in uh, eating patterns. Now, you heard that Dr. Bruce Brockway just told you you do not have to make drastic changes. It's in the incremental changes that can make a big difference. Little changes can make a big difference in your health. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. We're going to come back and talk with Dr. Brockway some more about what you can do to empower yourself and to live a better life as we go on through this pandemic. As we move through COVID-19, what can we do better and how can we live better? And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. And we're back with Dr. Bruce Bravo. And we're, we're just talking about what's going on with our bodies and, and uh, how we can live better during this this pandemic. So, Dr. Brockway, you were telling me a little story about yourself. I, I really didn't think that the Nutrisystem was you. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you were just investigating Nutrisystem. <laughs> but that was... So, tell my listeners what you were, were telling me about about uh, why you started taking that and and what happened. So, what well, I actually, uh, I did uh, Nutrisystems for a very short time, um, which, uh, again, cu- curiously enough, is, had to do with limitation of calories. But uh, one of the reasons for doing that was encouraging uh, my lovely wife to cut back in portions served. Uh, which, uh, cooking for herself for a month, uh, kind of encouraged her to cut back in portions that we could work with. But the problem I had with the uh, larger portion goes back to childhood. My mother would say, son, clean your plate. (laughs) Uh, There are people in this world who are starving, who would love to have that food. So uh, move forward a few years. My mother's in her 80s. She's uh, living alone. She's taking care of all her domestic needs. She is uh, working the food shelf. She's delivering meals on wheels. So uh, your mom, your mom is delivering meals on wheels. My mom is delivering meals on wheels in her eighties. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, and uh, why am I not surprised that that uh, Ms. Broadway would be doing? <laughs> and one day she said, "Son, I lied to you." Working the food shelf, she discovered that people who were there because they had nothing would take the bag they were given and take out everything they did not want and leave it there. So, son, they really didn't want the food that you didn't want to eat. <laughs> I lied to you. <laughs> what but a confession. I, but I just wanted you to eat it. <laughs> that sounds like... Sounds like uh, our our mothers went to the same school, <laughs> or at least ascribed to the same school of thought. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, but you, we do kind of feel like you you want to clean your plate. Like a lot of people go through that; they want to clean their plate, mm-hmm. uh, or they don't even, you know, and with weight loss, you don't know where to start. Like when you're looking at at what you should do for your body, just for simple weight loss, you don't know where to start. But with kidney disease, there's so much more to it. You know, and we, uh, during my day job, I'm with the Texas Kidney Foundation. And one of the things that we do is is promote uh, lifestyle coaches that uh, connect the patient with uh, uh, renal dietitians because a renal dietitian is really important to uh, a kidney patient. Mm-hmm. They're, they're different than uh, the, the average dietitian. 
and they're going to be trained in what is specifically needed for renal patients. So what are those good foods and what are bad foods? Because there are some things that are considered great and healthy, like spinach, that are not uh, good for renal patients. So I know you know all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears with when you're since you've been looking at this for the last fifty years, what because I, I know you have an interest in in the kids and in heading this off at the past, which would be starting with children. What have you seen in that population that has been alarming to you over the last 50 years? What have you seen in our in our children's population? Well, the major uh, change has been uh, an increase uh, generally in weight, and with that, a uh, significant increase in the incidence of what uh, was called adult-onset diabetes, uh, or the type 2, not that begins with the need for insulin, as was traditionally associated with children. Uh, but uh, the same uh, pathophysiology that we see in adults who gain weight uh, start to have some increase in sugars, finally have diabetes, and it continues. Uh, so uh, that, that clearly has been a, a result of uh, uh, fast food, too much sweets, and too little activity all things that uh, can be influenced. It obviously wasn't purely genetic because uh, that uh, didn't always exist in the home. It's something that occurred as a result of changes in uh, eating habits. The growth in diabetes, like when I, I remember being a kid and there was not like if somebody had diabetes, like in our class, uh, it was a rare thing. Like, it was also rare to have have uh, severe allergies. Like, you didn't have lots of people with EpiPens and, you know, uh, all of the things that we have now. Like, there's a, we have a real uh, issue with, with diabetes and, and allergies and all of this stuff that that's just seems to be compounding. But diabetes in particular, and uh, that it, you can definitely see that it's weight related. Uh, but what have you seen that we've been doing to offset that? Like how, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to what your, your thoughts are on, on some of the stuff that we see people doing to offset it. Well, in the uh, schools, some of the at-risk schools uh, in the uh, south side, they have had uh, uh, programs to try to uh, encourage uh, healthier eating, um, providing information relative to what uh, more desirable foods may be, and uh, trying to influence uh, the school cafeteria with regard to uh, what would be made available. I'm looking forward to seeing the numbers on what what happens over the next decade because it really takes a, a while to be to 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 see what the body of knowledge is going to reveal about the initiatives that happen right now. So I'm curious to see what what some of the initiatives that I've seen, come through, I'm curious to see what they produce, like getting rid of some of those high fructose drinks in the, uh, in the, the, uh, those little drink things that, that kids get. The vending machines. Vending machines, yeah. yeah. Getting rid of it in the, in the vending machines and, and going with healthier alternatives in the vending machines. I want to see like what the data ends up being on that because it seems like that, all of those things will help, but the most important thing, that, like the two most important things are what you're putting into your mouth 
and how you're how much movement you have going. Like that's it. Like it's as if what you're putting in your mouth is is probably more important than even than the movement. It's the portion size, what you're putting in, and uh, how much sugar and fat is in all that stuff. Well, the influence of uh, the vending machine is a tough one. I mean, we've had vending uh, machines in the waiting areas of the dialysis facilities and have tried uh, to uh, encourage, uh, perhaps even pressure a little bit, the vending machines didn't belong to us, they belonged to a company, but to put things that were healthier. And uh, the response back was a very simple one. We fill it with what people buy. Mm-hmm. So and that's, they don't buy the healthy things, we don't put it in there. And that's exactly the same response you, we get when, when, whenever we ask the question, why is there different food? being sold on the south side as opposed to on the north side that is the same uh, response that we receive and that's and it is a true response those are for-profit businesses and they are there to sell people what it is that they indicate they want to purchase mm-hmm. <laughs> so if if uh, nobody wants to purchase lettuce but everybody wants to purchase jicama then jicama will be purchased <laughs> by the same true. token. If nobody wants to purchase real cheese and everybody wants to purchase processed cheese, <laughs> processed cheese will be purchased, you know? So it's like, uh, what do you do about that? I mean, at some point we have to look at, at our own selves and our choices because the only person that that can make a different choice for tiffany is tiffany like no you can't come in and and make me eat the right thing i i still have to opt out of the big red (laughs) you know or whatever it is that i'm trying i I don't want to bash on big red i know lots of people like it (laughs) but anything that you're eating or drinking that you shouldn't be uh eating in large portions or consuming in large portions, you you have to make that choice. You still have to be the one to make the choice. The beautiful part about it is that you can. Is that we we are in a time where you get to make the decision about what you put in your mouth and how much movement you have going. And today, even if you've made every poor choice before, this very moment, you can decide to make a different set of choices. And you've been listening to uh, me talk with Dr. Tiffany Smith, talk with Dr. Uh, Bruce Brockway about your health and about what you can do differently. You get, you're getting 50 years of experience here telling you, uh, lending his knowledge. So come on back and, and listen and let's Let's pick his brain a little bit more and see what we can find out about what we can do better to live and be and exist and have a happy life. Dr. Brockway, so you were telling me how, what you decided when you decided to take on, on being a doctor. What were the roles that you decided to take on? Well, the issue of trying to be effective uh, was uh, how do I encourage uh, the individual to uh, follow a regimen, to take their medications uh, in a predictable fashion to to benefit uh, their health as much as uh, possible. And so uh, it included uh, things like uh, being uh, an advisor, an educator, um, a coach, um, comforting, fatherly individual to uh, uh, actually seeing if, uh, if uh, criticism may be helpful. I mean, how do we make things happen? Well, mm-hmm. uh, I very quickly discovered that the people uh, who were criticized for not doing what they were supposed to didn't come back. <laughs> they didn't come, come, come see me for that. And so... <laughs> Uh, so that wasn't working at all. 
And uh, uh, more recently, uh, I'm uh, playing with uh, cognitive behavioral approach, uh, which is to pose a question for the individual to answer that may begin to change the mindset about what they need to accomplish. Uh, so, for instance, with respect to following uh, a regimen for blood pressure, sugar, et cetera, to protect kidneys is uh, something that may be as simple as how, how would you feel uh, to uh, find yourself with a requirement for dialysis, for replacement of your kidney function, uh, that your uh, family uh, then uh, notes you're dealing with this on a daily basis with, with the thought that you could have done something about that. I mean, how, how would you feel? Uh, and then uh, depending on the answer, uh, approaching with other questions that establishes a mindset that may be a, a little more encouraging and to that the, uh, the individual to... Uh, so that doing, sounds like right you're things. encouraging the person to think through the process and come to their own conclusion, but nudging them along the way <laughs> towards the, uh, the right one. Uh, right, and there's nothing about it that's uh, that's accusatory or threatening, right. really. Oh, that's good. Uh, it's uh, it's asking uh, it's asking a, a, a question uh, that uh, they answer and then responding to their answer. Uh, to pose uh, another question uh, to influence uh, how the how the mind is going to help them deal uh, with what they need to do, recognizing the challenges uh, of uh, following diet, doing exercise, uh, uh, taking their medications, uh, uh, etc. It's kind of fun, uh, and and for that, I mean, everybody's a little bit different in how they mm-hmm. think about life and deal with things. So, uh, it also becomes, a, in a sense, kind of a game to play. With the patient. yes, guessing, get, get, yes, guessing, uh, guessing what the personality may actually function like, uh, in a sort of a non-medical setting, if you're. Uh, trying to figure out how they think about things uh, at home or at work or whatever. Uh, and then uh, utilizing that to uh, help leverage a desired response in the individual that results in uh, uh, better preparedness to do what needs to be done. That's a good approach. Like they're, they're doing a lot of this behavioral health uh, and encouraging behavioral health. We do uh, because it it's the one thing that a patient can control and you can change your, your physical outcome. You can change your physiology through behavior. You can do it. It's just... Uh, it's it's not easy, but you can do it. <laughs> it can be done. Like you know, if it feels like we've always we we do a lot of pushing for the easy route, uh, but the easy route is just not feasible in in most things. There's not an easy way to to lose weight. There's not a a, a quick fix for for anything that is taking you time to to do. So if it's taking you a while to put on a bunch of weight, then don't expect it to take, you know, 60 days to drop it. We have established uh, habits that uh, mm-hmm. take some time. It does. Uh, I want to say, uh, in, in my case, it took me like two years, like two and a half years to get it the majority of the weight off. It took about two and a half years. It was not it was not a sixty day fix. It wasn't. I, I don't know who keeps putting out all this 
of material that says in 12 weeks <laughs> you could be you could be a completely different person I, I, that may that may be the case for somebody who, who doesn't have you know 100 or more pounds to lose uh, I don't know how quickly a person can can drop weight because they used to have these television shows where they had people on and they were they were morbidly obese as was I and uh, and they the trainers would help them and 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 get everybody to to lose a phenomenal amount of weight in ninety days but unless you are willing to just like devote your entire life like your job is just losing that weight <laughs> it's not gonna you know and even then I would need to have you in my back pocket and a personal trainer and somebody to cook for me <laughs> you know like I would need like a a, a group of, <laughs> of people as my dream team to even accomplish that Whereas in real life, <laughs> you know, incremental changes would probably be is the most effective way to try mm -hmm. uh, to execute lose, losing weight because you're going to have to live with the lifestyle you create for the rest of your life. It's not, you know, I, now um, I'm 10 years into this. It's been 10 years since I started to lose the weight, mm -hmm. about eight years since I've had most of the weight off. Uh, so what I was doing had to be something that I could live with. It couldn't be something that I was doing, you know, I was going to eat this way for the next 90 days and then do whatever. You know, you know, after that, it was I, I literally had to change everything that I ate and uh, continue down that path to keep it off. There was no way to to do something other than that. You know, I wish I could could uh, give people some silver bullet or a pill or whatever, but uh, you can do everything. You can have weight loss surgery. I have taken pills. I have had surgeries. I have had all the things that every shortcut you can think of. I have tried it, and I know that uh, the only thing that works is changing everything that you eat. <laughs> Change what you eat and do it incrementally until it until it it's not uh, painful. Until it's not a, a mentally painful. To, to do so. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you see happening in Texas for kidney patients? Because we've got a lot going on. So what, what, what do you see as, as uh, the most important stuff that we're doing? Well, there's some coordination of uh, issues related to kidney disease and actually uh, what they call the comorbidities. It's the other organs that mm -hmm. uh, suffer because of the same process uh, that we're uh, fortunate to have a governor uh, that wants those issues uh, evaluated um, and uh, develop uh, plans for dealing with the deficiencies that we have and uh, perhaps the way we approach health care uh, as uh, individuals, as physicians, as nurses, as parents, uh, but information that can be utilized uh, to uh, get uh, better results for the Texas, uh, for the Texas population. Uh, I mean, we have... Uh, in, in Texas, the fastest growing rate of kidney failure in the entire country. Mm -hmm. Most unfortunate. Uh, so uh, we are in a situation where uh, little changes may make much greater uh, progress uh, with respect to preventing ongoing damage, disease, and 
dialysis requirement. Um, and uh, I, th I think uh, I think his initiatives that he wants us to uh, address are very important. I think we're looking at better things to come with regard to the care of our population. Oh, I think the same thing. I was really proud of uh, of the team he's put together for uh, fighting fighting kidney disease and addressing how how we will as a state. And proud of the fact that that uh, so many professionals here are are really taking the time out of their their schedule and their already busy lives to focus in on on the kidney population here and what we can do better in every area that uh, patients are facing because uh, we have to have both. We have to have the professionals looking at it, uh, and we have to have the patients there helping them to see like some of the, the pitfalls that, that patients are facing, especially like the fatalism and how, how one overcomes fatalism, because some of that is cultural. Um, uh, the hope is in you guys uh, who, are, who have been uh, tapped to, to actually make a difference. So I thank you for everything that you do, Dr. Brockwood. I appreciate that, Tiffany. You're very kind. And we are privileged to be where we are. Uh, that's really great for, for your voice to be a part of shaping what happens next. Because we, we need somebody that has some perspective in the rearview mirror to, <laughs> to help us decide what, what goes on uh, in the future. So thank you for everything that you do for patients like us. Thank you. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer.